Abba, thank you again for blessing me through your grace for this new day to be in your treasury, to be a conduit to share with my brothers and sisters and whosoever would have an ear and lean in, listen to the seeds that are planted, Father, and come to know that Jesus Christ is indeed your only begotten Son. Have faith in you and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and that they would choose to accept that thing that you have offered to us freely, that thing called salvation, that they decide freely, Father God, and that I am only planting a seed and that the salvation comes from you through Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity for your truth, knowledge, and wisdom. To they that have an ear, let them hear. Abba Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Paraklitos Aman. So, <clears throat> very interesting um, day yesterday, the Lord's Day, and that the sermon was delivered through one of our co-pastors, which is awesome, as I shared with you before, is that um, the pastoral staff there, pastoral meaning, you know, in, in artistry, you have the beautiful scenery and display of uh, God's creation. If you look out there, and you see what God has done. But then you have the pastoral staff. And it, too, is beautiful to see these men and women that come up and deliver God's word and, and lead the various groups in the church, you know, the college-age pastor. Um, then you have uh, one of the youth groups, such as about high school-age kids, and and, uh, and and he delivered the message yesterday. Great, thank you. <clears throat> so I'm going to kind of borrow from him a little bit to share with you all <clears throat> because this is... Um, this, again, is following that thing that, that uh, our lead pastor shared about the rule of faith. Going from Old to New Testament and sharing with you the intertwining, as it shared with you, the intertwining of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost being can be three separate, but yet together are one. And we, too, brothers and sisters, are separate. Yet we can be bound to one another, one, one mind, one heart, and we pray and uplift one another, and yet we're separate. This is a term that I've shared with you quite some time ago, and I'll share it again because it is relative to what I'm telling you and sharing with you. <clears throat> There's a plumbing device that is used and some out there may have heard the term union. <clears throat> Pardon me. The term union um, is a piece that's put in pipe fitting, and it has threads on both ends, and you can thread a piece of pipe or whatever you're attaching it to in one side, and then you can attach on the other side, and then there's a rotating nut, or piece that you can put a wrench on and you can use that to tighten it down. And when you turn that, it's interesting because this device, when you turn it to 
tighten it with a wrench, it actually threads, the threads being on the other side, they go the direction they're supposed to go and it tightens. And you can take three separate pieces and tighten it and it draws them in and you can use it to make one complete piece. And then when it comes time, you can take it apart and separate those one, that one unit, and take the union out and separate, and those three pieces can be individual again. We too are that way. God, God created us this way. We can be a union, as Paul talks about, one mind, one heart, one spirit in prayer together in belief, and we can be that way. And yet, we're separate. We can go our own ways, be our own people, be our own self, and and go our direction. And then, of course, sadly, there are those that become that way, but they become that way for despicable reasons and call those gangsters. So... Let's get into let's get into the book of Matthew. Some folks, the disciples, made fun of him and they used to he had certain issues, but he was also very attentive to detail. That was that was Matthew's makeup as he walked apart from Jesus and he walked separately and he walked himself. He was before Jesus came and called him. Again, I share with you that Matthew was a publican. Matthew was a tax collector. Many people despise him. But here's the thing too, I just gone through this thought process is gangster a long time ago. If you watch any of the old um, mafia movies, you know, you'd have <clears throat> one of the guys would be getting ready to dispatch one of the others. And by that term, I mean kill them. And, hey, yo, Joel, you know this is uh, nothing personal. It's just business. I mean, these these guys would have dinner together. They'd, they'd uh, have barbecue. Their kids went to the same school. They would go fishing together or whatever they were doing. Um, and then they got, for some reason... The one had to dispatch the other one. So they didn't understand that about Matthew. Matthew was actually a personable guy, but they despised him because he was a tax collector. They blamed him for uh, selling himself to the Romans. Well, because of Matthew's um, somewhat oddities that they all complained about that, Nobody paid any attention to him. So Matthew had taken his education. And Matthew was educated. Matthew could read, write. He could do numbers. He um, he spoke other languages. But nobody got Matthew. Jesus got Matthew. And he called Matthew. But yet there were the other disciples who, being so typically human, mammalian attitudes, they ostracized him. They set him apart. They kept continuing to do that. And then they tried to chastise Jesus for calling him. But he's, but he's, and Jesus, of course, being Jesus, said he's what? 
Simon Peter, you were a fisherman. You stunk. Of course, Jesus didn't say that. Now I'm paraphrasing. But quite readily, Jesus did. When he was rebuking Matthew, then Jesus had to rebuke him and remind him where he came from. He said, hey, how are you pointing your finger at Matthew and complaining because he collected taxes and it was not a personal thing for Matthew? How do you think his heart was? His heart was breaking to do this thing because he is a Jewish man and yet ostracized, alienated, and blamed for so many issues and blamed for your troubles because he collected taxes from you as issued edicts by the government rule. It's not personal, Simon Peter, it's business. And that's all Matthew was about, but yet he got ridiculed and ostracized and set apart. And then Jesus told Simon Peter, hey, when I was walking on the shore and I called you, you stunk, you smelled like fish because you'd been in your boat for a couple days at least. You smelled, and pardon me, my French father, but you stunk to heaven. My father sitting up there could probably smell you. And I still called you. And I don't complain about you. Nobody else complains about you. And you're always jumping into the middle of the fray thinking that I need you to protect me. And here's the thing too is that we read in Matthew. In the book of Matthew, detail-oriented Matthew. I like Matthew. Oh, here's an odd one for you too. I kind of like Pilate. I'm going to stand up for Pilate. And you have, how can you possibly do that? It was not personal. It was business. When it became personal, Pilate actually didn't want to crucify Christ, the anointed of God, Jesus. He said, what proof have you got? And then, of course, the Pharisees and Sanhedrin and those that they coerced into or paid to come and say anything at all. Blah, 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 blah. He says, I find no fault in this man. How is it then that you want me to crucify him? Okay, Pilate being the governmental agent that he was, he didn't want to crucify Jesus. He could not find any reason to crucify him. However, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, and as I say, they, they had people in the crowd that were crying out to crucify him. And then relenting because although the Romans were in control, they were also much like the Pharaoh was, afraid of the Jews. They had a fear because there were a lot. And as typical is as is our police force today, there are so many out there that are on the street doing things that they shouldn't do, and yet the police force is way outnumbered, and that's been that way for years and years and years. And then you have city officials that 
don't want that many out there. And you, they had the same thing going. So don't sit there and try to argue that it's different today than it was. No, it's not. There are many things that are so parallel, it's almost ridiculous to argue the point to it. And I'm not going to argue. I'm stating fact. It's the same. Those who had the, uh, how should I say this, the upper hand in their numbers, and they argued against having so many Romans on the street. They didn't like them out there, but yet they wanted them there. And then here you have their chief who is saying that Jesus Christ has no guilt as far as he's concerned. I find no fault in this man. There is no reason that I see that he should be crucified. And yet, being the governmental agent that he was and fearing the numbers that he did, that there would be an uprising, then he'd have to dispatch more troops and he'd have to put that down and then have to explain himself. Didn't want to deal with that, so he relented. And the other thing that he did was when they put that sign and they, they tapped that down into the top of the cross. Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. And then what did that happen there? The Pharisees, the high priests, oh, that's not, no, no, don't put it that, say he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate looked right at him and he said, it stays as I said it is. Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. So for those couple reasons, I stand up for the guy. And a lot of people, man, he crucified him. No, he did not. The very ones that declared that they knew the law and the scriptures crucified Jesus. Pilate was doing his business. He was doing what he is supposed to do. But he did not find any reason. There was no evidence that Jesus had done anything that warranted being crucified under the Roman law. But the Sanhedrin feared Jesus Christ and he was usurping their authority and that authority that they had in their own minds, which we do today ourselves. We declare ourselves as having more authority than God. That is a very, very dangerous place to tread. And there are those that do it today. And there are sadly those that declare themselves as Christians and wear that little label that's taped on their forehead. And then when they see fit, they take that off so that they can fit in outside of the church. And I must guard myself. You must guard yourselves to not be that way. Share the truth, the word of God, as he asks us to do. In our belief that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God, and we declare that, and we have faith in God, and we have the Holy Spirit guiding our steps, we must show that to others as well as sharing the word. And then we can't just go about doing what it is, what, however we want to go to the strip clubs, the bars and whatever, and then turn around and on Sunday, tape that little label back on your forehead and go, you're not a Christian if you're not living that way. 
You can't just say it and not do it. Walk the walk if you're going to talk the talk. Period. 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 And then, of course, too, though in defense, there are those that are practicing Phariseeism. There's that word. I love that word. It fits so well, Phariseeism. And what, it's, what does that mean? What do I imply by that? I'm not implying anything. I'm telling you exactly how it is. They become offended by the littlest things within the church because they think that they are in control of something because they've been appointed to do a certain thing. And they become offended in their mind and the offense is nothing. And then if anyone speaks against what they're saying, then they become offended. I'm not going to argue with you. Well, there's no argument. You're just doing what the Holy Spirit has told you to do, and it's okay because that authority is the validation. And this is what I share with you. Just like there may be those that are offended by my speaking the way I do and sharing the way I do and speak. But here's the deal. It's the truth. It comes from the Bible. I may not be as eloquent a speaker as others, and I don't have a mammalian-issued certificate of ordination, but my validation comes from the most important and the highest post of chancellor of any. And that's been signed validated, endorsed from HSU, Heaven Sent University. His word, his truth, his knowledge, his wisdom, and given to me to share with others, and that validation is all I need. And when anybody else says, I don't care. And when I say that, I don't care, it's because your validation is not what's important to me. God's validation is what's important, and it should be that way with anyone else. When we compare ourselves to other people, and we are deciding that that other person is higher up or uh, more authority than you have, and you don't have that and this, you are putting yourself above God this is this is this is factual. You are putting yourself above God's ordination and his validation because God has you doing something that he wants you to do to maybe learn to take that next step higher, but he wants you to learn as you go as we were as a child, a small child crawling, then toddling. They call a toddler a toddler for a reason because they don't know how to walk. They toddle and you have to hold on to them because they wobble back and forth and they can still fall down. Hello, do you not fall sometimes? And then you listen to the white noise interference from Satan or his minions and it gets into your head and then you start saying, well, I can't get back in the word. I can't pray. Look what I just did. Oh my gosh, I can't pray. I can't even go to church anymore, which is exactly what Satan wants to happen. Get up, dust yourself off, and say, yes, I fell. Father, I fell. Yes, I fell again. He already knows, but he wants you to come to him because he is our good, good father. You confess and you say, Father, I'm sorry. What does he do? 
He yanks you in and gives you that big God bear hug that you just think you're going to explode. Then he puts you back at arm's length. He looks you right straight in the eye and goes, I love you. Kisses you on the brow and he's forgiven you. The parable of the prodigal son that so many people got confused about in the Sanhedrin, they didn't even understand, was talking about the prodigal son. And also the parable of the shepherd leaving the 99 to go find the one. Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. The prodigal son is us. Whenever we go wandering off, we leave the father. And then, of course, you had have those who play the part of the elder brother, who gripe to the father. Wham, 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 wham. And what did the father do? Looked him right straight in the eye. He said, all you had to do is ask me to have a barbecue with your friends. We could have done that. And why do I make such a big deal about your younger brother's return? Because you were with me all the time. You stayed with me. You were here. And all you had to do was ask. And you gripe about your younger brother returning to us alive and okay, cleaning him up and having a feast with his friends and our friends. And all you had to do was ask because you stayed. Of course I'm rejoicing of his return. As Jesus tried to explain, when the one returns, there is great rejoicing in heaven when the prodigal son or whoever, son or daughter, it doesn't matter. When you go off and live riotously and spend frivolously, which the prodigal son did, you remember the story, or maybe you don't, don't even know it. The youngest son declared to his father he wanted to go off and live his life. He was tired of sitting around their land and tilling the soil and doing what he was supposed to do to help keep it up. See, here's the difference that you have to understand. In those days, wealth was not counted by all the money you had or, uh, you know, the Tesla or things like that driving around and, you know, and not the shiniest and most expensive camels, but their wealth was determined by uh, the number of stock they had um, and the type that, you know, maybe they had cam uh, camels, cattle, sheep. And so that person was a little wealthier than one who only had cattle or only had camels. So that and the amount of land and uh, the crops they kept. And then they didn't hire out a whole bunch of ranch hands or farm hands and or uh, have that they had they had those that were employed by them but much of it was done by the family that was living there they themselves did it, their offspring this is why in those days a lot of uh the the head of the house would prefer that to have sons to do that but the daughters went out and helped as well. They either tended the sheep or they went out and helped to reap the harvest and, and do those things. Everybody worked together. Nowadays, children, they just want, 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 and mom and dad will give them anything they want. I used to have, <clears throat> I used to have youngsters that had, I had one that lost a, a $3,500 laptop that mom and dad bought for him and was whining and crying because he left it and then whining and crying because I didn't pay attention that somebody had possibly walked off with it and you know on the and that day and where I was working it was crowded all the time huge and he was sitting all the way in the back playing on the thing got up and left and left it sitting there and you think that somebody not seeing that would pick it up and sadly 
they wouldn't leave it sit there because in this day and age, you see something unattended, you're going to pick it up and take it for your own. Theft is prevalent. So somebody left with it. And then his comment after whining and crying and all the complaining because it wasn't safeguarded by me doing my job, which was not to safeguard personal property that's left behind, that gets turned into lost and found, or as in this case, somebody leaves with it and can't be seen because of the crowd press. And he shrugged his shoulders and he says, oh, well, mom, dad will get me another one. Seriously? Mom and dad will give me another. I've had expensive cellular devices left behind. Oh, well, mom and dad will give me another one. Mom and dad will give me another one. That's this day and age. And this is what we have. So in this day and age, the children are not, and I'm not saying in all cases, but in many cases, not doing to put together and keep the family together. They just take what they want. So the prodigal son whining and crying about what he wanted. He said, I want my inheritance now and I'm going to go and leave on my own and live how I want to live. Well, prodigal living means that you go and you spend frivolously. You don't pay attention to what you're doing. You live riotously, which is exactly what he did. He went and there were there was partying going on. There's guys that were his friends as long as he had money and could buy them, they went with him. They talked him into going to this little public house, into that little public house, and that public house. They talked him into going to the Red Quarter and buying them a prostitute and doing that sort of thing. And they went and they ate and they drank and they lived happy, happy, happy until he ran out of the happy juice, which would be money. He ran out of money. And where did he end up living? He ended up living with the swine and trying to eat out of their trough so that he would survive. And he said, look what I have become. Look what I have sunk to. Got on his feet and he walked back and ashamedly, ah, yes, he was ashamed, but he walked back home. And the father saw him from a great distance and ran out to greet him because he didn't want those that were at the house to see his son the way he was. So he wrapped his coat around him, made sure that he, his feet got shod because in those days, it, your sandals and your, your feet being having shoes, that was important. And all the indications that he wanted it to be seen that his son was okay. Came back to the house, got him cleaned up, and then they had a festival, they had a feast, they were having a good time in his return. And then the eldest son whining and crying and father having explained, he said, hey, you stayed here. All you had to do was ask me, which is exactly what we are told now. All you have to do is ask, declare. There is rejoicing in heaven. And as Jesus talked about the parable of the shepherd, and do you not go search for the one that is lost? And when you come back, what is the first thing you do? You get with all your neighbors and your friends and you say, oh, I found it. I found my lost sheep. And then what do you do? You have a small feast. You make happy, happy, joy, joy. Jesus Christ explained that the same is done in heaven, that there is great rejoicing in the return 
are the one that for a time was lost. You fall down and they're, they're like, oh man. And then when you come back and you repent and you say, Father, I'm, I'm sorry. I am sorry. And God hugs and forgives and then there's happiness. Oh yes, he, she, they came back. This is a good thing. This is a great thing. This is wonderful because when it comes time, they will be here and they will be with us all the time. That is awesome and they are happy. But let's get back into man. And this, <laughs> incidentally, those parables come out of the book of Matthew. Matthew writes about them, so we're not too far off base. We're just a couple chapters past. And we're going into the crucifixion. And talking about Pilate, Pilate, I, I think that I'm going to stand up on, on Pilate's side. The only accusation and was written is that they accused him of his declaration of being, of claiming to be the son of God. But Pilate says, hey, I told them how to write the plaque. I told them what to write on it. Jesus, the king of the Jews. It stays as was written. Not separate or change because you declared to be so. <clears throat> oh, pardon that crack of my voice. <laughs> it's because you say so. I am in charge of this court that you brought him to. I find no fault in him and nothing that warrants him to be crucified. And yet he was because, as it is in this day, they're being fearful of the crowd. But that is no different than it is these days. The fear of the press of the crowd. And we have the different things too. Then we're going to jump a little bit earlier in time. <clears throat> we're going to digress a little bit. We're going back to Matthew chapter 24. I've shared this portion with you time and time again for those who declare doom and gloom and oh, the dark and oh, let's not talk about that. Let's just talk about the pretty and happy things. Let's not read the truth that is in the word of God. Let's just, let's just take out excerpts and we'll just Talk about the happy, happy, joy, joy. Can't do that. You have to follow the rule of faith. The rule of faith is that you read the Bible from front to back and back to front, and it is intertwined. You can't pick and choose and take things out of context because that's exactly what you're doing by only reading happy, happy, joy, joy, and you don't want to talk about the truth. Jesus declared, as is written in chapter 24, by the word of God, the truth, the knowledge and the wisdom of our Father God in heaven. His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who is intertwined with God. And as declared before the Sanhedrin, the truth stands before you and you don't even recognize it. And God, as you have read about in the scriptures, stands before you and you don't even know it. And here's the truth.
And he was sitting this, uh, some people call this the, um, oh, I forgot the title. The, ah, sorry about that. But anyway, it, it was on the Mount of Olives and Jesus Christ is talking to the disciples. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The Olivet Dissertation, is that what I... Anyway, sorry about that. I was trying to think. Anyway, he's on the Mount of Olives, and it's kind of privately. He went out of the synagogue, <clears throat> and then he was... Uh, he was teaching, and they griped and complained. So anyway. And Jesus answered the disciples and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Okay, let's stop and take a, a look closer examination of that verse. Kingdom against kingdom. Nation against nation. You have these things going on. You have Russia, Soviet Union, going against Ukraine, which used to be part of them, and they separated and became a democracy. But yet the communist government, who, who simply by changing their name, did not change their heart or their mindset attitude that they want to control. Ukraine wanted to be a democracy, to be able to think for themselves and do for themselves and be independent and not be under the communist boot heel. The United Soviet Socialist Republic is what they were and is what they are today and now. So what am I telling you? that you have those who have socialistic attitude that want to change and take your liberties and freedoms away and be that thing. And they say that it's better. Well, back in those, in the days when they were first getting started, they were saying, oh, it's good for everyone. Everyone's going to have the same. And everyone. No, it's not. Only those that have the power are in control. They said the same thing in China and they declared the same thing in Korea, and they declared the same thing in Russia, and yet there was a time in the Soviet Union who is huge, and there are more millionaires per capita in the country of Russia, and yet there are more that are starving to death, and they're being put in these re-education camps out in the Siberian tundra, and there were people waiting in the bread lines that the government was supposed to take care of and provide for them. And yet they were starving to death and waiting for days in line to get molded bread. They were, and those that had died when they had done autopsies found that they had taken the tongues of their shoes off and were eating shoe leather in order to just stay surviving while they were waiting in the bread lines. Hmm doesn't look like anything in modern times and what's going on anywhere familiar. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines 
and pestilence. Pestilence is what? Disease. Diseases. We have gone through SARS, Legionnaire's disease, the Hantavirus, and so many ills and things, the Spanish flu. You have gone through so many things here and everyone survived. And now you have this declaration of this thing that's going on now. And yet back in the other day, nobody was declared that they had to go and be vaccinated against any of these other issues. And you had thousands of people that were dying, no declaration and no mandates, no separation, no quarantines and no shots. And now somehow it's become different because of manipulations of numbers and things. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you that we are being told a deceptive thing, and this is what Jesus is declaring, that there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are to take place. It's not a happy, happy, joy, joy place. Why? Because this plane of existence, by virtue of the choice of mammon, has decided to turn away from God and go their own way, and stay in that way. And so therefore, it is dark and broken, but there is light. There is beauty around. You have to open your spiritual eyes, open your spiritual ears, lean in and listen to that still small voice of the Lord who talks through the Holy Spirit and guides our steps and loves us and will take care of us. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That is his promise his declaration, and it's been that way from the beginning. We're going to get back into the Old Testament here shortly. All these are the beginning of sorrows, meaning that there are things that are going to happen. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. What does that mean? That means that those who declare and are walking the walk and are real Christians are going to be hated. They're going to be ostracized. They're going to be alienated. They're going to be martyred. And if you open your eyes and you're, you're hearing, you will know that this is true, truly happening now. In Africa, those who declare themselves to be Christian and not declaring their allegiance to those thugs who are in power or to the other faiths that are declared there, they declare themselves as Christian. They're being hunted and killed for the sake of their faith and their belief and not renouncing Jesus Christ or God. They're being put to death. In the Middle East, people are being shot and killed if they are seen carrying a Bible. And I shared with you already that that man that turned his wife in for declaring her Christian faith and belief, she and her child were beheaded because she was taking the child to church. And they declared that they had been infected. And her head was cut off and her child's head was cut off and her husband put the finger on her. That's some kind of faith there. But we'll be judged by the Lord God Almighty. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because... 
Iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There will be many that will walk away from their faith. It's called an apostasy, giving up their faith and belief and walking away, turning their back on God. Wow. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whose, whose readeth let him understand. So read the word of God. Stay in the word of God. And as Paul wrote, Study to show thyself approved, that you are knowledgeable of his truth, wisdom, knowledge that is shared of God, and that you are in that seeking his guidance and his path. Then let, then let them which be in Judah flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Why? Because it's going to be a hard time. Look now, this woman was beheaded and her child beheaded because of her belief in Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God and faith in God. And she would not renounce that when pressed. Brethren and sisters, it's happening now in many places in Africa. You think that because they're a child that they're being spared? They're not. Don't be deceived and believe what you read in the media or what you hear in the media. And just because the multimedia is placing it on the internet. Oh, well, it's got to be true if it's on the internet. Please, please don't be a fool. And yes, I said that word, be a fool. Because if you believe... Just because the media puts it on the internet that it must be true. I shared with you already, if you paid attention to what I said, that there was a clip that was shown that this aircraft, that supposedly, it was supposedly a Ukrainian gun emplacement on the ground that was fighting with a Russian aircraft. Except the only problem is that the voice tape that was on this media release... And it wasn't a private thing. It was released by a news agency because they had the title on. And here's the thing. It wasn't a Russian aircraft because the aircraft was in a training exercise and going against a ground emplacement. It was an A-10, what's called an A-10 Warthog, an American aircraft. It's only flown by American pilots. Other countries don't have the aircraft that was built, produced in the United States. And it was used successfully against Saddam Hussein when he was there and they went into and attacked his, artil his uh, armament on the ground and they were dominant. And this is American aircraft, but yet they were declaring that this is Ukrainian gun emplacement on the ground fighting against a MiG and they blew one up and so forth and so on and making a big deal about it being, you know, first films, breaking news from the Ukrainian Russian. It wasn't. It's deceptive. There are, and Jesus tells us that there will be many deceived about many things and not just about the word, about many things. 
Yeah, it talks about the false prophets and prophets being a term that is used for preachers. And there are those, I've already shared that with you, that you have those that twist malign and pervert the word of God. This guy, this Yahoo that got up there on stage and declaring that that the that we've been teaching it wrong all along, that John 3.16 is not true, is that God's condemning. No, he's not. He's giving you the opportunity. And if you choose not to accept that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son, you choose not to believe that, and you choose not to have faith in God, and you choose not to pay attention to the Holy Spirit, then you have condemned yourself. God's not going to point his finger at you and say, Ha, you're not doing that. Yeah, I'm sending you to hell. Doesn't work that way. You have condemned yourself by choice. You have condemned your path, but you can repent. Repentance is available. All you have to do is say, I'm sorry. And so, as I shared with you too, you don't come back and you don't turn and you don't run back to the house to try to grab things to take with you. Sarah did that leaving with her husband, Lot, she turned back to her friends and, and all, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. They said, Lot, take your family and go. And they, told, she was standing right there with them when the angels were talking to them, but she looked back anyway. And she disobeyed. And now she stands as a pillar of salt. How's your salt? What's your salt worth? Are you the salt of the earth? Or as Jesus said, they that have lost their savor, good for nothing but the dung heap. And Jesus also declares too, we jump down here to verse 26, wherefore if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth, behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's when it'll happen. You're not going to know that it's going to happen. So now we're going to go to the book of Exodus. And I'm going to share out of the book of Exodus. Jaden did this thing. He was teaching, and, and it was it's awesome. Actually, very awesome. And the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and lit up this thing. But here, this is talking about the Exodus. <clears throat> Exodus from, from Egypt. And Moses having been chosen of God, called of God, and him trying to make all the excuses he can. And he came... Uh, when he, when he ran away after, uh, you know, and, and Moses was raised as an Egyptian, actually looked like an Egyptian in many cases. Uh, people would see him and thought he was. And that because he killed an Egyptian who was beating nearly to death a Jewish slave, <laughs> this, this, this part blows my mind, is that they griped against God out in the wilderness. God proved to them. He brought them up out of the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea. They walked across with dry feet, dry feet. And they walked across. And then when they got to the other side and the salvation of the Lord came when the Red Sea crashed down upon Pharaoh and his army who was giving chase. Oh yeah, Pharaoh went. He said, I want that Moses. 
I want him for me, myself, and I, and I'm going to get him. And he led his army in across the Red Sea thinking that they were going to get him. Didn't happen. Closed in on him, destroyed the entire army, and took Pharaoh with it. And yet, the Jewish people cried out against Moses and declared against Moses that they should have stayed in Egypt, that place where they were bound and slaves for 400 years from the time that the Pharaoh who was in power when Joseph was there. That Pharaoh died, so then the next Pharaoh became agitated with the fact that rumors flying around and coming back to his ears that the Jews were going to rise up and take over and he became fearful. So what did they do? They subjugated them as slaves and worked them until they had no strength to be an uprising army against the army of Egypt. By hearsay, like they did with Daniel, hearsay, like they did with Hananiah, Michel, and Zariah, hearsay, hearsay, hearsay. And like they did with Jesus Christ, it was all hearsay. And yet Pilate stood up and said, I find no fault in this man that I should condemn him to crucifixion. And just like telling them, no, this stays as I wrote it. Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. You turned your back on him. There are those of us that hear and saw the things that there, and yet sadly he didn't declare his faith and he didn't accept that, but there were those centurion. Remember the story of the centurion. And I believe that the one that was standing at the cross was the one that Jesus Christ had saved his servant and that he did believe and was standing and remember that declaration this was truly the son of god spoken words by the centurion that was there at the cross and when before they were getting ready to leave egypt and we start reading about this actually in in uh Exodus chapter three, and then we continue reading it just before they left. What did Moses tell them? Remember the last plague. The last plague that was there was what? The angel of death. The angel of death would come. This was gonna be the last plague that came to Egypt. And when the Pharaoh said, okay, let him go, let him go, let him go. But what did Moses tell them to do? And this is, this is the part that the Holy Spirit came and opened my eyes and, and different perspective. You read through that and you think this. And you have the members of the Sanhedrin that supposedly were adhering to the book of law of Moses. And that's all they did. They didn't read the book of the prophets. And yet you had members of the Pharisees that would read all the way around and, and do all this stuff, a little more in-depth reading. But... When that last plague was coming to the land of Egypt, the angel of death, what did they do? What were the children told, told to do? To sacrifice a lamb and to mark the doorpost on the lentils, the side posts, and the overhead. Ah, here is the enlightenment. Was this not a prophetic word of the sacrifice of what? 
the Lamb of God. John the Baptist spoke, behold, the Lamb of God, whose sandals I am not fit to latch. And when he was baptized of water and coming out, the Spirit of God, he came down and Christ Jesus, anointed of God, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The declaration, behold the Lamb of God, was not Moses speaking prophetic word and didn't even realize, I don't know, if the Spirit of God had touched him and he had said, oh, wow, this is going to happen in a couple, in about a thousand so years. He just declared this to be done because God spoke this word to him. But here's the, it's prophetic. They marked the posts with the blood of the lamb on the overhead and the side posts. And then they sacrificed the lamb for that blood. And then they took the lamb inside and they were told to eat the lamb. They cooked the lamb and they ate it. And those that didn't have a lamb or those that were, they were taken into the homes of others to sit at their supper table and share with them. Is this not communion? Sounds like communion to me, sitting at the same table and we are to take the unleavened bread or cracker as some do and the wine as parts of the body of the sacrificed lamb and the blood and do so in remembrance of him until that day that he comes back. So you go from the New Testament, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, you go back to the Old Testament and the Spirit of God tells me that this is his truth. It is interwoven. It is all one. And here you have prophetic word of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And some people read over it and share with you positively. I didn't see that until Graydon Church Sunday and the Holy Spirit says, hear with spiritual hearing, hear me speak, open your eyes, read the word. Brothers and sisters, we are his children. And in one of my readings from, from one of my other teachers that we share word back and forth, we have this thing. Can I get that in writing? When you're looking for a car or something really expensive and you, you want that uh, promised price or whatever to be written down so that you have that proof. You have that and, you know, they put things to the date and time and all that stuff on there so that you have that. Brothers and sisters, we have it in writing. It's called the Bible, the word of God. His promises are there. The truth, the knowledge, and the wisdom of the Lord God Almighty is given to us in the Bible. You have to have faith. Just like you put faith in that salesman or that, uh, or that, um, that guy who gave me that price of the car. You want to take his word and that it's truthful and believe him. So why is it that you have issues or problems believing that this is the word of God and his truth? 
in Isaiah 40 and 8, we have a promise. And Isaiah has declared 40 and 8. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but not the word of our God, and it shall stand forever. God's promised. I have faith and believe that the promises of God, I stand on the promises of God, and I hold on to the promises of God. You are in my prayers. Am I going out? Am I coming in? Brothers and sisters, stay in prayer. Keep the faith, believe, and lean in and listen.